The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's turn the Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to continue. It's been a while since I, I spoke on, on our series of being a witness for Christ. But we're going to, today we're going to talk about the attributes of being an effective witness. The attributes of an effective witness. So we'll turn together to 1 John chapter 1 and we'll read the first three verses there. So if you will uh, follow along with me silently as I read aloud from 1 John chapter 1 beginning at verse number 1. We read here, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together to study from your word. I pray that you would, uh, Father, teach us today, that you would instruct us and, and encourage us and help us to be effective witnesses for you in this dark and, and evil world. Thank you for all these things, all that are here. I pray that their time would not be wasted. We ask you to bless this hour now in Jesus' name. Amen. I received a phone call this week from a, a young lady in this area. And she uh, wanted to talk to me about, she wanted some advice. And, and she began explaining to me that her husband has gotten involved in some Eastern mystic religion. And he, this religion that he's involved in, uh, denies the, 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 the Bible, denies the scripture and the word of God. And, and embraces all of those things that we as God-fearing, God-believing people reject. Things such as homosexuality and, and abortion and these type of things are all embraced by this Eastern philosophy, which, which says that everybody has a right to their belief and we need to be tolerant of everyone else's belief and, and these things. And she didn't know what to do. And um, she, was, she said she was struggling, beginning to... To, to, to un, not, not know for sure whether or not the Bible is right. The Bible is the word of God. And I, and I prayed for that young lady after, after I hung up with her. And I prayed for her since then. And here in 1 John chapter 1, we see John telling us that the things that, that, that he has seen. And the things that he's handled with his own hands. John touched Jesus. He didn't just <laughs> hear about Jesus. He touched him. He, matter of fact, John is the disciple that laid his, his head on, on the breast of Jesus as they sat at the Lord's Supper. And Jesus loved John, and John loved Jesus, and his witness is a strong and effective witness. And that's what I want to talk to you today about, about being a witness for Christ. I don't care how old you are in this room or how young you are in this room. 
All of us have been called as witnesses of Christ. Upon, upon our salvation, the Lord has called us to be a witness of Christ. Um, this we've studied numerous times, the call to be a witness. So I'm not going to belabor that point this morning. I think we can all agree this morning that every child of God has the responsibility to witness of Christ to all around him or her. Whether you be a high school student or a college student or whether you be a, a, a businessman or, or or man in, in a workforce, um, all of us have been called to be a witness of Christ. And, and we do this in many ways. We witness by our lifestyle, by the way we live our lives, by the way we conduct ourselves. We witness by our honesty. We witness by our integrity and all these things. And I think we can also agree that some of us will be more effective in this area of witness than others of us. Uh, this is even affirmed in Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll go together to Matthew chapter 13. Now, I've got these scriptures listed on your study sheet so you can kind of maybe advance yourself along as we go through and, and find them. Um, Matthew chapter 13, and we'll look at verse 8. And we read here, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some Thirtyfold. So we see here that Jesus has, has, has established that there are different levels of production from different Christians, right? That, that some Christians have a more effective witness, perhaps, than other Christians. And there can be many reasons for this. These various increases differentiate the varying degrees of fruitfulness in individual witnesses or, or individual sowers. We know that the fruits of grace in believers are of the same quantity. In other words, I don't have more grace than you have. You haven't been given more grace than I have. We've all been given an equal quantity of God's grace into our lives. So we know that, that they're of the same quality, or quantity, um, but, or quality, I'm sorry, but this parable demonstrates that they are not of the same quantity. Some believers are grown to greater maturity than others. Uh, some are, are but little children as Christians, and some are young men, and some are fathers. So we can assume that one's spiritual maturity has an impact on their effectiveness as witnesses. So we, as we grow, in other words, as we become spiritually mature, we understand the Word of God more clearly, and we, we have a better grasp of, of the truth of the Word of God we, we may become more emboldened and, uh, to speak to others. And, and we, we learn to discipline our walk and our character so that others see in us a quality of life that maybe they, they, they've never seen before. That, that was, in fact, that was what drew me closely to the man that led me to Christ. I had known him as a young, as a young man. We were, we were high school friends together. And when I saw his quality of life compared to where it was when I last seen him. I was drawn to that and, and I, he had something that I didn't have and he had something that I wanted to know. And God used that to open my eyes and to open my heart to the gospel. So we see that spiritual maturity plays a large part in our effectiveness as, as witnesses. 
Now, there is no magic formula for making one an effective witness. Uh, I can't go home and whip up a, a, a special potion and say, drink this and you'll become a great witness. I can't, I can't do that. There is no such thing. There's no miraculous incantations. I can't stand up here with a, with a, a little thing that I'm going to dip in some water and throw it on you and mumble a bunch of words and, and cross my hands over you. And, and there's no magical incantations to make you and I better witnesses for Christ. Yet I think there are some attributes that are associated with mature Christians that help them to be more effective in their witness for Christ. So if you'll allow me some latitude this morning, I'm, I'm going to share some thoughts with you uh, from things that I've learned over the last 33 years in the ministry. Things that I, I've learned help me to be a more effective witness to those around me. And I think they'll be of great benefit to all of us if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us concerning these things. So number one this morning, the first attribute that I think is imperative if you and I will be effective witnesses for Christ is availability. So number one is availability. And next to that, right, prepared to go. Availability. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. I'll turn together, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. And here we read from, from this passage of scripture, Isaiah writing these words. He writes, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Now this is a, this is a verse of scripture that everyone I know has heard. And, and you've probably heard preaching on it before. Uh, Isaiah was available. He was available to the Lord. So my first question this morning is this. Are you available to God? Think about that for a moment. Are you available to God? If, if the Lord stood here this morning and said, who will go for us? What would your response be? Would you, would you be as Isaiah who'd say, Lord, send me? Or would you sit back and say, well, you know, I, I just don't know. We live in a very busy world today, don't we? And if we're not disciplined enough in our, in our spiritual maturity, we will misappropriate our time and overburden our life with cares and concerns in this world. This really comes down this morning, when I talk about availability, this really comes down to a matter of priorities. In other words, what is most important to you? Now, we are commanded by, by Scripture, we're commanded by the Lord to have no other gods before the Lord. And this can accurately be read to imply nothing should come before the Lord in our lives. Nothing should come before the Lord. Now, certainly I understand that we need to work. Very few people understand that more clearly than me in, of late, that we need to work. I understand that. But the job we choose should not conflict with our availability to the Lord. Uh, when, I, when I got saved uh, back in 1981, I... Um, I was, I was self-employed. My father and I, we ran our own construction company. 
And as, as time went along, business got really poor, and I needed to f- go find a job. There just wasn't enough income work going on to be able to support it. So we, we closed our, our we, we unincorporated our, our construction company, closed it down, and I needed to go find a job. And I'll never forget this. My wife was working in, in our Christian school at the time, and I was home with my daughter Erica. She was just a little bitty baby. And I was reading my Bible, and I, I walked into the living room, and I laid her on the floor on a blanket, and I put my Bible down. I got on my knees, and I, and I prayed. And I, this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, by your grace and with your help, I will never take a job that requires me to work on Sundays. I made that, I made that promise that day to the Lord. Little did I know that two years ago I was going to be in the market for a job again. And quite frankly, I, I'll tell you, I turned down some opportunities. I, struggling. I'm not trying to stand here this morning and say I'm some hero. I struggled with this. I, I had an opportunity. Charlotte had, had put me on, on a job. Uh, she had given me a contact and I went and I interviewed and they liked me a lot. And when it got down to near the, the selection process, I learned I would have to work every Sunday. And not, not some Sundays, every Sunday. And my family and I desperately needed this job. And I went home and I prayed all weekend about that and I struggled all weekend about that. And on Monday morning, I sent that man an email and said, remove me from consideration for this job. Now, that was several months ago, so we went several more months with, with nothing. And, and, but I'm going to tell you something. Nothing comes before God in my life. And that's the priority we have to have. We need to have the right priorities. We need to work, but the job we choose should not conflict. Now, I understand also that our family is important. And their care and support is as well. However, we cannot even put our family ahead of Christ. We cannot put our family ahead of the Lord. Uh, and, but let me tell you this. If, if we begin, if we, you teenagers, listen to me. You begin your marriage. You begin your adult life with Christ in the center. And I can promise you, uh, you won't face many of the conflicts and problems that you would face otherwise. Always put Christ in the center of your family, the center of your home, and, and, and make yourself available to the Lord. I understand we all need time to rest and recuperate. And I enjoy this as much as anyone else does. But it is possible to schedule our time in such a way that it does not conflict with our availability to God. Now, I understand if, you, if you're traveling across the country on vacation... You may not be able to get back in time for, for Sunday to be in your, in your church, but at least be in church on Sunday. You know, find a church to go to and go to that church. For years, my wife and I and our children, we would go to Disneyland. That was our vacation happy spot. Disneyland, yay. Well, we'd leave at 2 a.m. on Monday morning and we'd get back on Saturday afternoon so we could be in church on Sunday. You say, well, are you some superhero? No, I'm not some superhero. 
I'm just available to God. And I made a commitment to him. And I'm going to honor that commitment. It is possible to do these things. But in our society today, men, men don't take this seriously. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Let's go real quickly. Luke chapter 14. Now, we live in a society that rejects what I'm talking about right now. Because they, they, don't, they, don't, think that, they, don't, they don't think that God demands that much from us. But I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, he does. Not only does he demand it, he expects it. You know, I've heard people say before, well, I, I can't be in church this Sunday, but God understands. I'm sorry, he doesn't. Not the God I worship doesn't understand. Now, there may be justified reasons sometimes when we can't be in church, but most of the time, the people I know that aren't in church, it's not a justified reason. It's simply a matter of convenience for them. Luke chapter 14, let's look at verse 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. See that? He sent his servants out and said, go tell everyone to come on in to this supper. And everyone began to make excuses why they couldn't be there. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now there's one of those justified causes uh, that I was talking about. I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, I understand and know that this passage is dealing with salvation, people being called unto salvation. However, it is illustrative of the true nature of man. That man is prone to put other things before the Lord. And this holds true for believers whose priorities are out of order. If we will be an effective witness for Christ, we're going to have to be available to him. I've had people come to me and said that they missed church on Sunday and they were at some other type of event. But it's a wonderful, it was a good thing, they said, because it gave me an opportunity to witness to people that otherwise wouldn't be in church. And to that I say, baloney. You want to be an effective witness? Show them how important God is. Be in church. That's your best way to, to tell people how important God is in your life, by, by, by being in church, by being available and, and serving him the way we ought to serve him. If we will be an effective witness for Christ, we are going to have to be available to him. And to be available to him, we're going to have to have our priorities in order. But then the second attribute I want to talk about briefly this morning is attitude. So number two in your study sheets is attitude. And next to that, right, determined to obey. Determined to obey. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, you can turn to it if you'd like. We read there, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, Daniel, certainly, here he was, a young man, taken captive from his own lands, possibly even witnessed the murder of his own parents, put into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar, 
and being being told what to eat. And and Daniel was a young man who would not disobey the Lord. He would not defile himself. He was determined. I want you to understand that. He was determined. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, Daniel, if anyone ever had a justified cause to to just do what he's told, it was Daniel. But he purposed in his heart. He was prepared to face death rather than defile himself, rather than disobey the Lord. He was determined to obey. Now, let me ask you this. What is your attitude this morning concerning obedience to God? If you would say that you believe obedience to God is important, then are you obeying him in every part of your life? See, sometimes, sometimes we pick and choose which areas of our life we're going to obey. Some things are easier for us to resist. Some things are easier for us to avoid. Other things are not so easy. And I think most people, including myself, have those little pet things that give us the most trouble. And it's in those areas that we need to determine to obey the Lord. Not in the easy things, but in the difficult things. The sin which so easily besets us. Those are the areas of our life we need to, we need to have the right attitude concerning. There are those today that mistake sacrifice for obedience. And this was King Saul's problem, his mistake. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, after Samuel had disobeyed the Lord, the Lord told him to go to Amalek and kill everyone, kill all the soldiers, kill all the men, kill all the women, kill all the children. Don't leave anyone alive. Now, you may sit here this morning and say, I don't agree with that. Well, you can, you can talk to God about that yourself uh, when you face him. Uh, the fact of the matter is, God knows what he's doing. And he, he told King Saul to go and utterly destroy Amalek. Not to leave anything alive. And Amalek went and, and he killed the soldiers and he killed most of the men. But he kept the king alive. And he kept the women and the children alive. And he kept some of the beasts some of, the, some of the cattle and some of the sheep and the goats and these things. And, and he uses those and he's making a sacrifice unto the Lord. And Saul comes along, uh, Samuel comes along. And Samuel says, uh, Saul, have you done what the Lord said? And Saul said, yes, I, I've obeyed the Lord. And Samuel said, well, then what, what, why do I hear sheep? What's the bleeding of the sheep I hear then? And why do I see King Agag sitting over there? And, and Samuel said, well, the people, the people wanted to make a sacrifice unto God. So we kept these things to sacrifice unto the Lord. And Samuel answers this in verse 22. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. He thought that he would make up for disobedience with sacrifice. And such is true with many believers today. Many believers think they can make up for their lack of obedience by doing what they consider to be sacrifice for God. And for a lot of people, that sacrifice, by the way, is showing up for church. Albeit, they only show up for church when it's convenient for them. If it's not convenient, they don't show up that day and they make excuses, as we read earlier. But what they will find is that God rejects 
these types of sacrifices. In the very next verse, Samuel tells Saul, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And I will state this morning without any reservation whatsoever that our effectiveness as witnesses for Christ will be directly proportionate to our obedience to Christ. For our obedience speaks to our attitude. Listen, teenagers and and elderly saints and everyone here, do not say you love God. Don't say you love God if you live in disobedience to him. Fathers, don't say you love God if you uh, don't love your children. If you disobey him by not, by not nourishing, uh, nurturing and ad- admonishing your children. Wives, don't say you love God if you're in rebellion against your husband. Church member, don't say you love God if you stand in, if you stand in disobedience to the pastor or the church. Don't, don't offer these, these vain sacrifices as an excuse for our disobedience. Don't say you're a witness of Christ if your life screams of worldliness. If you desire to be an effective witness for Christ, you will have to be available to him. You will have to be obedient to him. But then thirdly this morning, the third attribute I want us to look at is that of appreciation. Appreciation. And next to that, I want you to write obliged to serve. If we will be an effective witness, we're going to have to be available. We're going to have to get our priorities right. We're going to have to organize our life so that we are available to Christ, so that we, we avail ourselves to, to serve the Lord at, at every opportunity he gives us. And by the way, if you are available to him, he will give you opportunity. I'm sure many of you could testify of times when opportunities to to, to, to serve the Lord and be a witness or something such to this came up in your life and you, you, you were able to take advantage of it. Well, you wouldn't be able to take advantage of those if your priorities are not right and you, you weren't available, would you? So we, we have to be available. Secondly, uh, we have to have the right attitude. We have to have the attitude that tells us God is, God is in control. He's in charge. That, that God has every right to me. I, I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. And, and Jesus alone has the right to tell me what I'm going to do. You got to have that attitude. A student, a student in school has to have the attitude that my teacher is in charge. And, and they have my best interest at heart. So what they tell me, I'm going to, I'm going to do. Children have to have the right attitude about their parents. Every one of us growing up had times in our lives when we thought our parents were the dumbest people alive. And if you tell me that's not the case with you, then you're lying. But it's, it's, a teenager has to have the attitude, and not just a teenager, by the way. I still have the attitude that my daddy knows best. I'm 57 years old. My daddy's 89. And, and, and often I call him for advice and counsel because he loves me. He cares about me. He has my best interest at heart. Uh, 
And I have to have the right attitude. And when it comes to our, our spiritual lives, our walk with God, we have to have the attitude that God knows more than my flesh and God is wiser than my flesh. And my flesh will want me to do one thing, but God wants me to do something else. And I need to learn to have the right attitude concerning obeying Christ, obeying the Lord. And, and let me tell you, this, the right being available Prioritizing your life so that you're always available to God and having the right attitude about all these things will always lead you to this third point, and that is appreciation. Obliged to serve. Now, we, we ask the question, are you available? And only you can answer that question. And I ask the question, how's your attitude? And again, only you can. Well, now actually concerning your attitude, that's something something a lot of us can answer. (laughs) Right? You know what I'm talking about? You awake out there? Huh? You You can pretty much tell a person's attitude, can't you? Yeah. A parent can tell their kid's attitude that fast. So let me ask you this question. How appreciative are you today of Christ? How much do you appreciate the Lord? I certainly this is this. I'm not intending this to say anything, but Donna this morning, I heard her hand a praise to the pastor and she said, God is so good. My daughter, Janet, one day she came to me and she said, Daddy, God is so good. Because of some blessing she'd gotten in her life. And I told her, I said, Janet, sweetie, let me tell you something. God is good even if you don't get things. Do you understand that this morning? God's goodness isn't dependent upon whether he saves a man's eyesight or whether, whether he blesses you with something. God's goodness this morning isn't dependent upon the circumstances in my life. God is, God is always good. He was good from everlasting to everlasting. God is always good. And we need to learn to appreciate God. And and we are obligated today. We are obliged to serve him. I think of a man who demonstrated appreciation in in the scripture. Let's turn together to Luke chapter 19. This is the story of Zacchaeus. So we're all familiar with that. Luke chapter 19. And, and Zacchaeus, we know, was, a, was an evil man. Maybe not necessarily Satan in the flesh, but he was, he was a crooked man. He was a thief. He, he lied to people. He, he stole from people. He, he, would, he would condemn people to, to suffering and torment and all these things. So look at, with me at Luke chapter 19. Jesus came along through... He, he, he came through Jericho, which is where Zacchaeus lived, and, and Jesus went a certain way, and he went that way because he was coming to find, he was coming to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, the Bible says, was small of stature. I tell my wife often, I know you can relate to Zacchaeus because uh, you're just a little old thing. And he was short, and, and the, he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. So he ran to a sycamore tree and he climbed up into the sycamore tree to see Jesus as Jesus walked by. And Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down. For today, 
I will dine in your house. And Zacchaeus got saved. The Lord saved Zacchaeus. And in verse 8 we see, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. What do we see from that statement? We see that Zacchaeus had great appreciation for what just happened to him. So much so that all of his, all of his earthly possessions, all of his worldly wealth, all of his prestige, all of his, of his authority meant nothing to him. He said, Lord, I don't care about all those things anymore. I want to serve you. I love you, Jesus. What about us this morning? I use this passage of scripture because it so clearly illustrates the change in a man upon his salvation. We live in a selfish society. The motto of today is look out for numero uno. But this was not and is not the emphasis of Christ. In Matthew chapter 20 we read, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me tell you something. These three, these three or four verses... We should read every day of our life just to remind ourselves that we are obligated to be a servant, that we are obligated to those around us. Salvation brings us to the realization that we are not superior to any other person. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing but every man also in the things of others. I said salvation brings us to the realization that we are not superior to any other person. In fact, it obligates us to live our life in such a way that it benefits those around us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Paul said, I've been, I've been given liberty. We've been studying liberty for the last three Sunday evenings, and we talked about this. God, Christ made us free, made us free from the law. He made us free from, from death and the grave. And he, but he set us free so that we might live unto a greater law. So that we might serve him in, in sincerity and in truth. And Paul said, though I be free from all men, I've made myself servant unto all. Paul made himself a servant to every man around him. He gave of himself to everyone. He gave all of himself to everybody around him. What about us? There are people dying all around us. There are people going to hell that, that you know, people that you work with, people that you go to school with, people that you, you meet in the grocery store, people that you see every day of your life. They are dying and they are headed for hell. 
are we serving them? Are we ministering unto them? Are we, are we demonstrating by our life and with our speech and in our hearts the grace of God? All of this stems from our appreciation for what Christ has done for us. And this appreciation obligates us to strive to reach out to the elect saints of Christ. This deep appreciation drives us to change our lives. So that we will be available to Christ. To serve him and to love him. It drives us to change our attitude about obedience to God. Knowing that our obedience is more important than our sacrifices. And living a life that truly honors and glorifies the Lord. So what say we today? Will we be witnesses for Christ in a dark world? I hope these things have been helpful this morning. I certainly don't mean to stand here and try to project myself as, as being perfect in all these areas. Trust me. I believe, as Paul said, I, I'm the chiefest of sinners. But I know that these things will make me more effective in my life for Christ. And I know that these things will make you more effective as well. So let's strive to live our lives to the honor and glory of the Father. All right. That's it, folks. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.